Thank you. Glad you're here. Welcome to New Life. Man, wake it on up today. We need a big vat of coffee poured on all of us, I think, today. Welcome to New Life. We've got, uh, got a new, uh, new part of our series to start today. But before we do that, I just... Um, Getting to talk to some of you on the way in today, notice that, uh, I don't know if it's exhaustion or the roller coaster of life or what it is, but um, we need some energy today in this place. And um, I don't know what you're fighting in your life, whether it's um, finances or relationships or um, health, whatever it is. Um, just, I wasn't planning to do this this morning, but... Um, while, while we were doing worship this morning, I just went back here on the stairs to pray for you. Um, if you ever walk back there during worship, I'm often on those stairs praying. Um, and uh, just got led today to tell you about the hope that comes with knowing Jesus. Because I think um, many of us are trying to get through life, even those who, who have experienced Jesus, even those who have claimed a relationship with Jesus, are trying to get through life without him. Um, and trying to do life without the hope that we have. Um, God says, through the prophets in Isaiah, he says that, um, that you can have hope in God. It, it's a different kind of hope. It's not a hope for retirement. It's not a hope that one day all your money will work out. It's not a hope that the doctor will come back with a good report. It's not a hope in people. It's a hope in the one who created people. It's not a hope in a good idea or a good expression or a good moment. It's the one who creates all the moments and runs them all. That's the hope we have today. So if you've lost perspective on your life, if you've lost the hope, you need to know that what he said is, if we, hope, if we put our hope in God, if we put our hope in the Lord, Isaiah says that we can mount up with wings like eagles, that we can walk and not grow faint, that we can run and not grow weary. But what I see, and myself included, is I see us growing faint and weary. I see us not mounting up with wings like eagles, but with like just crawling on the ground with no legs in our lives. And, and so I, before we get started today, I want to let you know that you can, you can renew your hope. You can completely renew your hope right here, right now in this place. Whatever your ailment is, whatever you got going on in your life, right now you can choose to put hope in God, even if you're not sure you completely believe in him. Did you know that? That, it, that if you waver a little bit in the way that you believe in God, that he doesn't get angry at that. If today you're in here and you're just like, maybe God is my last resort and there's a little guilt in that for you, that you've tried everything else and you're just coming back to God because it's the last resort, you need to know that he's okay with that today. That... that that you're okay with him and that he's on your side. But what he says is, in those moments where, where we feel like some of you look today, exhausted, Isaiah says fainting, running and growing weary, that if you shift your hope, you can actually pursue a different kind of life. You can actually have a different kind of peace and a different kind of hope. So if you're here today, you need to know that, that lack of hope that downcast, Bible calls it downcast face, some of you have it right now. I know, I see it. Some of you have it right now. And, and God calls that a lack of hope in your life. It's, you're putting your hope in the wrong place. And what he says is that it's actually the low-hanging fruit of life. You will drift into downcast life. 
if you don't choose to put your hope in God. You will never drift in putting your hope in God. You will always drift in putting your hope in people, in things, and things you can touch tangibly. So what we want to do today, if you've drifted this week, if you have put your hope in the wrong thing, and you have found, you've come in today, found yourself desperate, um, you know, the, the word desperate is rooted in the word despair. <laughs> Many of you know exactly what despair means. It's, it's desperate. It's, I have nothing left. I don't know where else to go. You're in the right place. There's, it's, it's not about this building, but God wants you to know today that you can transfer your hope to him. And it takes a prayer. That's what it takes with God. You don't have to do anything specifically. You don't have to have a list of things to do, although I'm going to give you some of those today. Um, you don't have to have a whole bunch of things to do in your life. What God says is you just come to him and you just say, I want to transfer my hope. So I want to give you that chance today. I don't know if you've ever done science experiments before. Um, when I was a kid, I had a, a, one of those little science experiment lab kits, you know, where you just pour things into each other. And I was always hoping something would blow up. So I just kept mixing them until something blew up. I want you to know today, you can, you can experiment today with this relationship with God. If you've never done this today, if you're desperate, if you found yourself putting your hope in the wrong thing, you can experiment. And when we pray right now, you can just say, hey, God, I, I'm, I want to put my hope in you, in the real thing, because everything else doesn't work. And, and you can just experiment with this today and see how you leave this place. So I want to give you a chance to do that right now. I'm going to pray, and you can, if you want to, and you don't, you're not a prayer, maybe you're so desperate in your life, maybe you're, you've put your hope in so many other things that you're so desperate you can't pray right now. I've been in that place in my life. You can't pray. Then what you can do is say, hey God, the thing that John's saying right now, I agree with that. <laughs> you can do that. Did you know that? You don't have to word it. You can just say, God, I agree with what he's saying. If you want to do that this morning, that's a prayer, and you can do that with God. But I want to give you an opportunity this morning to leave here with your hope in the right place. It's the best thing you could do today. So let's pray together before we get started. God, there's a lot of, uh, just like you said thousands of years ago, it's just as true today. There's a lot of walking and growing faint in this place. There's a lot of running and go growing weary. I just sense from the people I love in this building today, just weary is the word. And God, you've, you've let us know. You've made it clear over and over and over that if we choose to put our hope in things, in people, in money, even in church, that we will grow faint and tired. And I know the enemy would love for us to miss, love for us to come in here and sing songs about hope and joy and peace and Jesus, would love for us to come in here and pretend, would love for us to come in here and even get a cold chill at something that's said or a good story and leave here with our hope in the wrong place. So God, we choose right now to a person in this, in this pace, we choose to remove our hope from the people and the things in this world and to place it in you. For those in this space today, God, that are too mad at you, too discouraged in life, too frustrated to even pray to you right now, God, I'm praying on their behalf. By the power of the Holy Spirit, would you 
fall on this place today? Would you remove the weariness? Replace it with the hope that comes from you so that we can not just get by with life, but that we can soar and we can thrive. And God, as we look up from this prayer today, would that peace begin to fill us? But at the same time, God, would you allow us to do our part to listen to you today and to look for ways that we can apply this to our lives, to look for ways that we can choose you over the world in your son's name. Amen. Well, I, I want to give you a, uh, a chance today um, to do something that I believe, um, to, to engage in a conversation with God today that I believe could change everything in your life. And I know I say that a lot, but I believe this sincerely, and until we actually start doing it, I'm just going to keep saying it. Okay, many of us get glimpses of this in our lives, but you need to know that um, as we go through this, this series called Stronger, and it's kind of been in an ebb and flow situation right now because of Easter and because of some, my illness and being gone a little bit, um, but we are back diving in the week after Easter to, to Stronger again, and if you're visiting with us or if you need a reminder, Stronger is an opportunity for us to get to, to make actual strides in our life in, in five different ways. And today we start the relational side um, of Stronger. And I know I told Risha this last night, um, that there's some, a little bit of uh, just um, of me kind of shaking my head at this sermon today, because it never fails, never fails, that when I speak about relationships, that the church is in the worst place it's been in a long time in terms of relationships. So what will happen is there's relationship problems going on all over the place in this place. Between people, between you and people outside, between bosses, between all kinds of things. And what happens is I will inevitably start getting emails about 2 o'clock this afternoon that says, why did you preach right to me today? <laughs> because it, it, this, is, this is so per, um, permeating our lives right now. And what you need to know is that God says that your relationships aren't just a little extra thing in your life. They're not just this thing to enhance your life or to make it better or in some places to make it worse. The relationships in your life are the point. Everything in your life boils down to relationships at the end. The relationship between you and God and the relationship between you and the people around you. I love this. You want to go to that next slide, Tanya? This is one of my favorite illustrations when it comes to relationships. You need to know that this illustration doesn't come from the Bible. Um, that this is, a, this is an illustration by um, Tyler Perry, if you're, if you're familiar with Tyler Perry. Um, actually, from Medea, um, he plays this character. If you haven't seen this, you've got to go out to YouTube and look at, at Medea. Um, Tyler Perry is a, uh, a Christian man who is an entertainer um, but, and a writer and a director, but he dresses up like this old woman named Medea and, um, and basically uses that character as an opportunity to teach people truths about life. It's really cool. And one of the things he teaches about, and this didn't originate with him, this is a long illustration from many years ago, but one of the things he talks about, I, I want to kind of, uh, I, I want to adopt it, I want to take it from him today, give him his due, and I want to shape it into what I believe is scriptural. Because here's the problem, and I told Risha this this morning on the way in, if I'm not careful, I can make this scripture today. So I need you to know this is not from scripture, but it's the way I want to start our talk about relationships because I believe this is a really good example of some of the problems we have with relationships in our lives. Basically, the concept is that in your life, your relationships are like a tree. And if you think of all the different aspects of a tree, you think first you've got leaves on a tree. Many of you maybe have heard this illustration before. This has been so powerful to my life. That the leaves on the tree, if your life is a tree and the leaves on the tree are the people in your life that come and go. <laughs> you know, the people in your life that are blown with the wind, something happens in your life, and maybe, 
maybe you, uh, somebody talks bad about you in public and they just kind of join in behind your back. Maybe sometimes it's not even that bad. They're just the people that you meet and they kind of come and go in your life. And, and the idea of them being leaves in your life is that when the wind blows just right, they're gone. <laughs> you know those kinds of people in your life. And then there are other kinds of people in your life, the relationships in your life, that God has put there very intentionally to be branches of the tree. And the idea of the branch is that it's stronger than the leaf, that it's going to be around a little bit, that it grows, it gets strong. But the problem with most branches is at some point there'll be enough weight on it, there'll be enough pressure that it will fail. It will break. And you know relationships like that. You have friendships, relationships in your life that are branches like that in the tree of your life where the, the people are good friends until something goes bad or until things get hard and then the limb breaks. Then there are people in your life that are like the roots of the tree. They're like the roots of your life. The people who build into you. The people who, at the very roots of your life, the very bottom of your life, build into you, give you life, give you nutrients, give you energy in your life. The people who will be there no matter what. They're the foundation of the relationships in your life. And if you're, if you're like me today, this, this resonates with you, and you do just exactly what I'm doing, and I can see it in some of your eyes. You're putting names and faces to those three different groups of people. People in your life, like buddy I went to high school with, Tim. I'll never forget Tim. He's a wonderful kid, great guy. He, I thought he and he, that he and I were going to open a business together when I was in high school. We had this plan, and I remember our first business together. We sold toothpicks that were been dipped in peppermint. Um, we put them in those little baseball card sleeves, you know, and sold them for way more than we paid for them. We made good money, you know, in between study hall and stuff. And we had this big plan. We were going to create a business one day, and, and I thought Tim was it. And we graduated high school 20 well, years ago, and <laughs> I have not heard from Tim once. And he's not heard from me. Truth is, Tim was sort of a, a leaf in my life. Good for me. He was really good for me, provided some things for me, and I for him, and we were good for each other. But he's gone. He's gone. If I had taken Tim as a root in my life, if I had expected him to be a root in my life, or even a branch in my life, I would be broken because he's gone. And I've got friends who have been limbs in my life. Friends who I spent two, three, four years with of my life during some of my hardest times. I have a friend that right now is in ministry in another state who, um, during my divorce, which is one of the worst, darkest times of my life, he was with me the whole time. And it was like one of those friends, maybe you've had these kinds of friends, one of those guys um, that just as things are getting the worst in your life, you get a phone call from him or a Facebook message or a text message, just the perfect time. And that was for four, four years, three or four years. And we were such good friends. We fished together all the time. We, we just spent all of our time together. And he was a guy that I thought, this is a root in my life. This is a guy who will be a root in my life. But the truth is, life changed. Circumstances changed. I moved away. He moved away. And re I realized God put him in a really specific part of my life. But he was a branch in my tree. And if I had given him all the energy that I give the roots in my life, I'd have been broken when I realized that our friendship, our relationship, had, had kind of broken under the pressure of being separated and those kinds of things. And then I've got people in my life who have always been there. I'm sure you do too. My mom and my dad, I think about like that. It doesn't matter how ugly I am. 
It doesn't matter how, how bad of a statement I just made. It doesn't matter how, what kind of mistakes I've made. They are going to be there. In fact, they're not just going to be there for me. They're the ones who have given me the kind of energy, the kind of life that God intends for me to have and have given, pushed me towards him. And so I have these groups of people, and I'm hoping you, you realize today that you, God has put these different types of people in your life. But here's the problem with relationships. Many of us don't understand that God moves different kinds of people in our lives for different times, and we want everybody to be a root. We want everybody to be so deeply in love with us, so driven by us and our lives. We want ourselves, we want our lives to be in the middle of their lives. And it's just not the case. I have about four people in my life that I would call roots. But the truth is, in my life, I've been hurt by so many who I thought were and just weren't. Jesus talks a lot about it. And he talks a lot about relationships in general. He says that everything hangs on this. He says, in fact, one time a guy came to him and he said, what's the most important thing in the world? What's the most important thing anywhere? And what he was expecting, this was a guy whose, whose life had been surrounded by uh, obeying all the commandments that God had given, especially the Ten Commandments. He had memorized them, he could repeat them by heart, and he was hoping that, that he would be able to get Jesus to say that one commandment was better than another one. He was hoping he would get, be able to say, Jesus would say, you know what, the most important thing ever is to, is to not ever take the Lord's name in vain. Or the most important thing that God thinks of always is to not have an affair. Or the most important thing is not murdering. Because this guy could go, I've done that, I've done that, and I've done that. I'm doing the most important things. But Jesus totally flips the switch on him and he says, everything, everything in life boils down to this. Loving God and loving people. He says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So you need to know today, if you came in this morning with that downcast spirit that I talked about before we prayed, if you came in this morning with your hope in the wrong place, if you came in this morning with a depressed spirit or an angry spirit, you need to know if you don't have these two things right, that's the problem. If these two things aren't in the middle of your life, you're missing out on what Jesus says all of life hangs on. Everything hangs on the relationship between you and God and the relationship between you and the people that God has put in your life. We, we take them passively. We often just kind of take them as they come into our lives, but the truth is what God intends for us to do is to realize everything boils down to relationships and to make them top priority. This happens to me all the time, maybe it happens to you too, where you get to the end of the day and you start reliving the day a little bit. Last night, um, yesterday, I, I've been sick for a couple weeks and I've got some weird things going on and yesterday I woke up feeling pretty good and I just had this long to-do list and Risha and I decided we were going to start on this thing, we were going to work and we start working in the morning and it's fun, I mean it's fun work and Risha and I love working together and doing things together and so we spent all day long working together and we got a lot accomplished, and I went to bed, and I took a shower, I, I laid in bed, and I started thinking, man, I should feel better about myself right now, because I've got a lot of accomplished. And I started thinking about my day, and about a few comments that R Reese had made during the day. 
Reese is five years old, he'll be six in July. And throughout the day, we were outside, you know, yesterday was such a beautiful day, and throughout the day we were outside and Reese just made some comments that I didn't even hear until 10 o'clock last night. You know what I mean? He made a comment, hey dad, when you're done with all those things, can you play basketball with me? And I said, yeah buddy, when I'm done, I'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll play. Never played basketball yesterday. About two o'clock yesterday afternoon, I was going to Lowe's for the third time. <laughs> it was one of those kind of days. And I had this moment where I walked out and I thought, you know what, this would be a great time for me to take Reese with me. He loves the tools, he loves the dad and son thing, and let's go look at the power tools, and we love to go to Lowe's together. But it takes an extra 20 minutes. He's slow, and he's got a, Dad, what is that, and what do you use that for? And, you know, it's that for 20 minutes in the store, and I just wanted to get back and just get things done, so I thought, all right, well, I, I, I had this little leading, and that might sound over-spiritualizing, but I know now that it was God going, hey, first things first. All you have to do is say, Reese, would you like to go to Lowe's? Light up his day. But I didn't. I got in the car, and I went to Lowe's by myself. I had a quick trip to Lowe's. I came back, and he was standing in the driveway with a basketball. I'm a jerk. Standing in a driveway with a basketball. Looking, waiting for my car. And your preacher pulled by him, ran inside, and finished my work. And did not play basketball with that little five-year-old dude. We went to bed last night. He and London have what they call a sleepover, where they both sleep in the same bed. And, you know, and we do it on Friday nights and weekends, and they love it, and it feels neat to them. But the problem is they don't really like to, to, to go to sleep, you know, when they're in the same bed. So it got late, and they're both kind of teary, and London went to her bed, and Reese was real teary. And I said, buddy, you sleep good. And he said, Dad, is, is tomorrow Saturday again? And I said, no, buddy, tomorrow's Sunday. Sundays are big for us. Um, we all have our routine. We all do our own thing. And, and Sundays are big. So it's really Saturdays that are family day. And I realized, this day I'll never have back. Him standing in the driveway with a basketball, on that Saturday, I won't have back. Him being that age, at that moment, with the things that are going on in his little brain, I have missed because I needed to paint the bathroom. What are we doing? What are you doing? See, the thing is, all the law and the prophets, every breath you take hangs on your relationships. Not on whether the yard gets mowed. Guys, don't use that as an excuse. Not on whether the yard gets mowed. Not on whether the jobs get done. Not on whether your bills get paid. Everything in your life, your hope, your joy, your peace, hangs on the relationships between you and God and you and the people around you. According to Jesus, according to Jesus, and he says this over and over again, if you don't like people, and I know some of you say that, even jokingly, I'd like to just move not have any people around me ever. I'd like to, I wish I could just not talk to people. I wish, and it's funny, and most men do this a lot, you know. I, but here's what God says, according to Jesus, if you don't like people, you got a God problem. If you don't like people, it's not a between you and people. It's you and God that's the problem. It starts there. So today, you need to know, I, I know that some of you are sitting here thinking, well, it's not me, it's them. <laughs> I know that. I know that, yeah. It's not me, it's them. 
Here's what I'm hoping breaks down in you today. If you've got that it's not me, it's them feeling today, maybe you have that about God, by the way. This happens in all relationships. It's not me, it's God. If God were really as good as he says he is, how do all these bad things happen? It's not me, it's God. It's not me, it's my mom. You know, she's just always yap, yap, yap. It's not me, it's my friend, always on Facebook, blah, 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 blah. It's not, it's never me. It's always them. And here's what that does to you. You need to know it, and if you get mad at me today, it's worth it. Because it makes you just, I don't have any other word for it because I have kids this age. It makes you grumpy pants. My kids call it grumpy pants. And you know why they call it that? They see it. They know what grumpy pants looks like because I'm the grumpy pants. They know what it looks like in their life because I've got to be honest, and I've seen it in you too. You can show it to me. My wife does, will tell me sometimes. She says really nicely. She is a very steady person. Very, very rarely is she grumpy pants. But on a Saturday morning in my house, I can change the environment completely by the first words I say. I can make the whole day grumpy pants for everybody, including the dog, if I come down with the wrong. If I come down with the attitude that it's not me, it's them, if I come down with the attitude that I can't believe these kids have left stuff on the stairs again and I just stepped on another Lego, which has got to be the most painful thing in the world at 8 o'clock in the morning. If I come down with it's not me, it's them, if I come down all day long with that, I'm telling you, it changes everybody's climate and everybody's environment. Check this out. The very first grumpy pants, the very first time we see this in all of Scripture, Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, you know the end of this story, Cain and Abel, there were brothers, and there was jealousy. And Cain was saying to God over and over, and to anybody who'd listen, it's not me, it's him. It's not my problem, it's his problem. And God said something that makes selfish people so mad. And I realize that today because I, I know I'm going to make some people mad. If you're living in a selfish place in your life right now, you need to know you're not alone. But you need to know it will destroy your hope. And it did for Cain and Abel. It did for Cain. He said, God, it's not, it's not me, it's him. Am I my brother's keeper? It's not me, it's him. God, it, it's, it's him. He's doing this and he's doing that. God says, then, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? That's a churchy way of saying, why are you so grumpy pants? You need to know today that when it comes to relationships, God sees through that it's not me, it's them. He sees through it. He expects that you can see through it eventually too, and you'll see why. Next slide. If you don't learn to master that selfishness, if you don't learn to stop and recognize it, and I am speaking from experience, this sermon would be a whole lot easier to preach if my wife wasn't sitting in the back row today. Because <laughs> she knows this is a, a lifelong journey for me, and I'm getting better every day. But I have what the doctors call anxiety and depression together. In a lot of ways, I use it. Some days it's not the anxiety and depression. Some days it's me being the center of my universe. Some days it's me being Mr. Grumpy Pants because I feel like I'm the center of my universe. If we don't learn to master our emotions, if we don't learn to master this, if we don't learn in that moment to recognize it, figure it out, and get out of it, it will rule your life. I know this because I know so many good Christian people 
who, as they get older, they just get grumpier. Now, I also know some good Christian people as they get older. There's just something about them. There's just some kind of a peace that I want to be around. There's some kind of a joy. My grandmother, I talk about her all the time, my mom. She's a perfect example to me of this. Now, she has her grumpy moments just like anybody else. But for the most part, when you walk into her house, her questions aren't about her. They're about you. When you walk into her house, how you're feeling is the top of her priority list. I walked in the other day. She is as sick as she's been in a long time. And when you get in your mid-80s, you know, that, that makes people nervous, you know. And she is, sick, she is just sick. And she's got this sinus thing and all this stuff. She's laying on the couch, which she never does. And my dad called and said, hey, if you're headed out to her house, would you take her a hamburger with nothing on it from Wendy's? And there are very few people I'll do this for in my life. But if my mom asked me for a hamburger, I will drop everything. And I took her a hamburger, and I walked into her house. Many of you know I've been sick, too, and I'm going through these things. I walked into her house. She can't even talk. Her whole whole face is just full of stuff, and she's laying on the couch. She can't even raise her head up. I walked in, and she said, I am so glad you're here. She kind of got teary, and I thought, man, she never does this. She must be really sick. And I thought, man, she must really want this hamburger. So I take the sack over, and I said, I brought you a hamburger. And she said, oh, thanks, and she put it aside. And then I thought, oh, she must want me to, you know, to talk to her about how she's feeling and just be with her because she's lonely. I said, my mom, and I sat down, I said, my mom, how are you feeling? She goes, oh, I'm okay. I've been worried about you. Your mom and dad said you're going in for some tests? I said, my mom, you can't even raise your head. Oh, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. I, I'm asking about, I'm wondering about you. I could not get her to talk about herself. I walked out of the room and I said, my mom, I'm so sorry you're feeling bad. And she said, I'm not feeling bad. You, it takes more than the flu to make me feel bad. I don't feel bad. And I feel a lot better now that I know you're okay. And I walked out of the room thinking I was bringing her a hamburger and bringing her hope and her peace, and I left a woman 85 years old who could not get off the couch feeling better about myself and my own life. Now, if you came in grumpy today, and you came in mad, and you came up with a lack of peace, I want to say something to you today that's going to make you mad. It's your problem. It's your issue. Nobody's going to fix it for you. If you've got an issue today where you just can't, you're waiting for somebody to make you feel better, you need to know that God intends for you to go to the one who brings hope. And no one can do that for you. I love you, and I'm your pastor, and I want to be your pastor, and I want to go back into that room with you, and I want to pray with you, and I want to introduce you to counselors, and I want to give you people who can help you in your life, but in the long run, it boils down to you sucking it up and going to the one who can bring hope. No amount of drugs, no amount of counseling, no amount of me praying in that room for you can do that. It's between you and God First, and until you get that, you're just Mr. Grumpy Pants. God says to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. God knows what's coming. Cain would eventually kill Abel, and actually pretty soon. At that point, I don't believe Cain believed that. 
If you just said, Cain, you're going to kill your brother, he'd go, no, I'm not that mad. Because it, it happens slowly, and then it happens immediately. You know exactly what I mean. God says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, not to distract you, but to have you, to own you. But you must rule over it. I'm going to tell you right here, right now today, that it is in you to rule over the pain in your life. It is in you to rule over the anxiety and depression. It is in you to rule over the lack of hope. It is in you, but it is up to you to go to the one who can provide it. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking to a group of people, kind of like I am, a group of people who have these leaves and branches and roots in their lives, and they get them confused all the time. And they get mad at each other. They get really, really mad at each other, just like we do sometimes. They get mad at each other for things they don't even remember why they're mad at each other. They've just been mad for so long that it's just this residual. It just keeps going. And Jesus sees all that, and he says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, so the idea at this point in history, if you, if you don't know how this works, at this point in history, before Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the way to be forgiven by God was to bring a gift. It was to, to bring something to the temple and to have it sacrificed. It would usually be um, a, a bird of some sort. If you didn't have a lot of money, if you had a lot of money and you'd really messed up, you might bring a really nice, expensive lamb to the altar. And, and Jesus says at this point, this is before he died on the cross, so at this point he's talking to people and he's saying, this is how you interact with God. When you bring something to God, even the times where you're trying to be right with God, he says this, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, I picture Jesus, he did this all the time, I picture Jesus stopping a group of people who were coming to the altar. Maybe six or eight family members who were given that grumpy pants look to each other. They're probably on their way to church yelling at each other about being late. Jesus probably stops them and they have their gifts, they have their animals. He probably stops them and he says, before you bring your gift to the altar, you get right with your brother. Before God will accept this, here's what he says. Remember that your brother has something against you. If you remember that your brother has something against you. Not if you have something against your brother, just. But even if he has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree quickly with your adversary. While you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you'll be thrown into prison. You know what he's describing there? He's describing exactly what God said. That sin just gets worse. It crouches at your door, and it gets worse and worse, and finally you end up in prison going, how did I end up here? just because I had a grumpy pants feeling on a Saturday morning. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is saying, this is your responsibility. Don't think you're going to get bailed out. The way you deal with people. And then I see it on Sunday mornings, and we do it all the time. We come in here, and even in our pews, we have issues. Even in our situations, in, in, in between here... I, in our churches, we have problems. 
And I just wonder sometimes if when we come to church, God isn't looking down going, have any of you read Matthew 5? Because there are things going on all over the place. And I want them fixed. The problem is, when we don't lay these things down, we carry things that don't belong to us. Many of you are doing it right now. I prayed that I would see it this morning. I'm almost done, but I, I'm hoping you feel this this morning. That I, I prayed that I would see it in you, and man, did I ever when I came in this morning. There's just this darkness that doesn't belong in the light. And it comes from carrying things that don't belong to you. Things like unforgiveness. When you have something in your past, somebody has done something to you, and you don't forgive them, you need to know that very rarely do they think about it. But it will kill you. It will lead you to carry, and it's almost like a backpack full of stuff that you carry everywhere you go. It affects every relationship you have. It affects everybody you come in contact with, and you carry this unforgiveness around. Many of you have carried it so long that it's like become a growth, and it's actually growing into you, and you're a humpback. That's the picture I want you to have today. You're carrying this stuff, and some of you have this bitterness because of unresolved things, this thing that is just so deep inside of you that it's, it's causing anger to come out in ways that it shouldn't. This happens to me with my dog. I don't beat my kids. I don't yell at my kids. But man, I yell at that dog. I don't beat the dog either. But I yell at that dog and I realize, so funny, that I have some bitterness in me. Sometimes it's about the dog. But often, I can, I can see you. The smallest little thing will set me off because I can see bitterness in my life. You know it too. And if you add some unforgiveness to the backpack of bitterness, it affects everything around you. Everything. And on top of that, Jesus calls it anger, but the Greek word is more like what we use, loathing. You know, anger is when you get really mad at somebody. In our language, anger is like, I'm really mad, my face turns red, but then it goes away. Loathing doesn't go away. Loathing is that feeling when you're on Facebook and somebody posts something and you go, I don't know what it is about that post. I just don't like them. And I don't know what it is about them, but when she wears that, it just makes me so mad. And I don't know what, but when he's singing on Sunday morning or when she's doing this or when he's doing that, I don't know what it is about it. Well, I know what it is about it. It's called loathing. Jesus said, you've heard... Jesus said to a whole bunch of people, you've heard it was said, do not murder. I tell you, don't loathe somebody or you have already murdered them. It's as bad as murder. And part of the reason he said that was because with Cain and Abel, it led to murder. And it will in your life. If it doesn't lead to physical murder of somebody, it will lead to verbal murder. It will lead to relationship murder. And it will be one more thing for you to carry around everywhere you go. Jesus said this, Man, and if you think Jesus just lived a long time ago and was a smart guy a long time ago, you need to know that everything he said is applicable to you right now, right here today. He said at one point, he's talking to a big group of people about all these things, and he says, and by the way, all those things you're carrying around, it's a, they're burdens. They're things that you're carrying that don't belong to you. Lay them down. Cast all of your burdens on God. Give them all to him. Walk away free. Some of you lost a lot of weight with this, uh, this weight thing we're doing, and it's amazing. I, 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 don't, I feel like I'm preaching to a new congregation some Sundays. It's so crazy. 
And you know the feeling. Rick Finney said to me, he brought in a backpack one day, 30 pounds in it, and he could barely carry it. He said, I carried this everywhere I went. It was on me everywhere I went. Some of you know the freedom of losing that weight and that everything feels better. You can breathe better. You can walk better. Everything's greener. Everything's just better. You need to know that the bitterness, the loathing, the unforgiveness, the broken relationships in your life are causing that kind of weight in you. They're weighing you down. They make everything more difficult. They make everything harder. You want to know why it takes you so long to get over the death of a friend? Because you're weighed down by stuff that doesn't even belong to you. You need to give it up. You need to get it away. You need to get it out. You know why it takes so long for you to get over the depression or the anxiety? It's because you're, you're trying to run with backpacks full of weight. Jesus says, cast it all down and fly like an eagle. I'm going to close today with this. The band, you guys can come up. I'll do this quick. Jesus says, a new command I give to you, which is funny because he said this a lot. He talked about love a lot. He talked about loving each other a lot. But he goes to the disciples. I mean, it wasn't that far, long before he dies. And he says, a new command I give to you. And they're like, all right, what, what is this new thing? And he says, love each other. I'm like, wait a minute, you say that all the time. And Jesus goes, well, you haven't figured it out yet. I mean, desperately, putting the other person first, love one another. As I have loved you. And Peter must have gone, oh. So even though I've done these stupid things, and even though I say these awful things and you still love me, that's how I'm supposed to love other people. You don't love people. If you're a Christian, you don't love people because they love you. If you're a Christian, you don't love people because they're good people. If you're a Christian, you don't love people because they're nice and they're smart and they're funny and they're easy to get along with. You don't love people because you like to hang out with them. If you're a Christian, you love people because God first loved you when you were ugly, when you weren't fun to be around. Jesus says, by this, by this, Everyone you will know that you're my disciples. This is what it means to be where God wants you to be in your life. The truth is, if you walk out of here today and you go, you know what, I don't care about that, John. I want to carry these things with me. Then the rest of stronger isn't for you. Because according to Jesus, all the law and the prophets hang on this. According to Jesus, all the rest of our series, everything we do, everything we talk about in this church hangs on your ability to say it's not about me. You say, well, you know what, John? I, I love all my family. I love the people who love me. Jesus says, oh, well, that's not even what I'm talking about. You've heard it was say love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be real children of the Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise and set, rise on the evil and the good. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even the tax collectors are doing that. Even those who are far from God love people who love them. That's not what you're called to do. You're, you're called to love those who are not easy. So here's what I want to tell you today. Walk here today clearly identifying the parts of your tree. Leave here today knowing that if you don't choose to master this today, if you don't choose to step forward and have hope in your life today, if you don't choose it, nobody will choose it for you and it will master you.
don't be surprised. Stop carrying the things that don't belong to you. I'm going to give you a chance this morning as we, as we sing. I'm, I'll go back to that back room like I always do. If you have something you want to pray with me. But what we want to do today is something some churches call an altar call. And I want to give you an opportunity today to, to do what Jesus said, to cast your cares on, on God. I want you to come up to these stairs during this song. If you've got something you need to give away, you've got something you've been carrying in a backpack that you want to go, God, I want to lay it down for you. I want to lay it down. It's yours. It's not mine anymore. Show me what that means. Today is your day. You can walk out of here with it. You can walk right out of here with what you came in, but don't be surprised at how, life, how hard life is because here's the thing. It all boils down to the relationships. You ask somebody on their deathbed what they're thinking about. It all boils down to relationships. I'll give you a chance today. If you don't have a relationship with God, it all starts there. I would love to lead you to that. I'll go back there to that corner. But most of you have a relationship with God and you're working on that. I want you to know today that it's being blocked if you have baggage in your life, that your relationship with God is being blocked. Today's the day. Don't walk out of here with that heaviness. Come right up to this stage. Just between you and God, you can pray. Just between you and God today. I love you. And I want you to be free from the stuff that you're carrying. Would you stand and sing?